Welcome to Mixed Picks on Rad TV. I'm Rob from Rad Radio, joined as always by Steve Mickelson, live in Las Vegas from MixedPicks.com. Two Ks in Mix, Two Ks in Picks. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great. How's everything with you today? Everything's great, and what a weekend we had in sports, and a weekend coming up with all sorts of uh, of news uh, to, to talk about, speculation and stuff. We're obviously going to get to the NFL uh, and everything that's happened and where we're headed. But I did. We didn't last time in our first episode. I wanted to go through some baseball. I know that ultimately, I think this is still true, your heart is still with baseball. Yes, but not as much as it's been in the last couple of years. Just, you know, I, I for years was really for the human element, but I just continue to watch game after game of bad calls, et cetera. And really for me, it comes down to either go to the, use the technology or get the box off my TV. <laughs> I'm watching the Yankees Red Sox game again yesterday and, and they call a pitch to strike and you know, it's at least six inches off the plate, get rid of the box. Cause then I'm like, ah, oh, maybe it caught the corner, but they put the box in there, which just blatantly shows all these missed calls which at the end of the day, all of us just want the calls to be right. That's really all we're asking. Look, when you don't notice the umpire, the referee, that's a greatly officiated game. But when you notice them, that's where the issues come up. So, you know, I'm to just use the technology. I mean, I watch a tennis ball hit a tennis court and I can tell if it's in or out by millimeters. Right. Well, why are we wondering for two minutes if it's a fair ball or foul ball? And there was one I don't remember because it was over a week ago uh, that went viral of, of this guy. And he was missing them on both sides, a home plate umpire where he missed like nine calls that were nowhere near the box. Uh, and, and I mean, the only good news was he was consistent. So between that, between the, you're right, the, the middle ground of either human error or, or, or use the technology. The other thing that's pushed me away from baseball, it is the sport of my youth, played it, watched it, loved it, is the analytics thing. And things like seeing a guy who's got a no hitter through seven innings who gets taken out. And this is happening all the time now. It's not even worth texting you when it does because he's, oh, no, he's over the pitch count. And, and it's little things like that. It's, it's, you know, you that's one of the things you loved about baseball was, oh, you got to text you, turn over to ESPN. Dude's got a perfect game. Eh. So what if it, three pitchers did it? I, I agree with you. The analytics, and keep in mind, I was on the front end of analytics. I really liked it. I really felt, and this is long before even the money ball, getting on base is the key to the game. You know, get on base, you have a chance to score, put the ball in play, make things happen. And it's just now gone to the home run, the strikeout. The pitchers go maximum effort at all time. They don't learn how to pitch. If you can't throw 95, they're not even interested in you. So if you look at at the, the great players of our youth, I mean, Tony Gwynn probably wouldn't, and Wade Boggs probably wouldn't even be playing in today's age because they're like, ah, all you can do is hit singles. We wouldn't see Greg Maddox, who is arguably the best <laughs> pitcher of our youth, because none of these players fall into the youth. And these were the best players at their time. And it just, you know, to me, that's where the analytics, I, I agree to a certain point, but the pitch count really bothers me because maybe I'm wrong in this thought, but I always thought the way you strengthen your arm is by throwing <laughs> and you need to throw every day. Now we have the, the, you know, the tournament teams and all that, but the kids play and they play year round. So they're throwing a practice, they're throwing in games, but then they're not throwing at all. I mean, how many times did you and a buddy just go out and play catch in the backyard? Always. Like all the time. Daily. <laughs> Correct. 
that doesn't happen anymore. So it's like, if you're not at practice, you're not in a game, you put your glove down, you never throw anymore and you watch it in major league baseball level. And maybe they're saying, Hey, injuries are going down from now. Nothing close. I mean, I watched Fergie Jenkins, Bob Gibson, you know, these players, Gaylord Perry throw 300 innings a year and we can't get but five pitchers to go over 200. And, and I just don't, I don't care for it anymore. So now that we crapped on baseball, the good news is <laughs> uh, it is in the final month-ish. This is where it gets exciting uh, for a lot of us that kind of don't pay as much attention during the season. I'm this way with with, with basketball, too. Um, and so ESPN did a thing. They had a panel of 17 of their baseball experts. If you watch ESPN, you know their names. But I picked out a few of the quick hit questions to throw at you and see if you agree with most of them. Let's just go through them here. Uh, who do you think is going to finish with the best record in Major League Baseball? I think the Braves are the best team right now. They have the best record. You know, this team leads the league in home runs, runs scored. One of the top 10 pitching teams in the league. Freeman, Acuna Jr., you know, Olsen just hit his 51st, 52nd homer. You know, I think he hit his 52nd homer last night. This team can score runs. So I, I, I like the Braves to win it. The Orioles are right behind them. They've had an unbelievable season nobody expected them to be there at all and the Dodgers are still having a good year I don't think they're the same Dodger teams we've seen in the past they've had issues with their starting pitchers I mean really they've all been hurt uh but I, I to me it's the Braves and the Braves are the best team and I think it's a step down to go to the second best team in the baseball 16 of the 17 ESPN writers said the Braves only one said uh, the Orioles story I've been watching uh, since it got so bad over the summer will the New York Yankees finish with a losing record for the first time in 31 years well thankfully they played the Red Sox yesterday and they swept <laughs> a doubleheader so that put up a game above 500 the Yankees because they are such a story franchise I think a lot of other teams would say heck with it let's just start tanking let's go see our kids but that's not the Yankees way. I think they're going to continue playing through 162 games. I think they take pride in the fact that they haven't been below 531 years. And I don't think they're going to let that happen again this year. They've had a lot of injuries, a lot of issues going on with that team. But you know what? It still is the Yankees. And there's a lot of pride when you put that Yankee hat on. And guys, your, your age and my age, we remember the spell before 1992 that was the last time that they that they were under 500 in 92 they went 76 and or yeah 76 and 86 and for five years they were bad the yankees went through a bad spell in the late 80s and and everybody was like what happened to the yankees and now 31 years they've never not had a winning record which is why everybody's watching this thing what about yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna say you, you know they're a great franchise you know, the part that's interesting is when George Steinbrenner bought this team, I want to say early 70s, he had to pay to put it on radio so people could listen to the game. <laughs> but he understood it. But think about that. The owner of the Yankees has to pay the radio stations to put it on the air so people would listen to it. Unthinkable. And now, anyways. Uh, so we go to the opposite end for this uh, email we got from Brian, uh, who said, I never thought this would happen. Uh, he, he wrote in this morning, uh, but the A's are not the worst in baseball, according to win percentage. Uh, in fact, right now, the A's have 46 wins, 99 losses, whereas the Kansas City Royals have 45 wins, 101 losses, which goes to the question of who will finish with the worst team record this season. 
Well, I think it should be the A's if the Royals finish with the worst. That, that's a travesty. This team has some good players. I mean, Salvador Perez is one of the better catchers in the game. We know the A's are rebuilding. They're rebuilding for the move to Vegas. They're not going to go out and sign anyone. Everything they're looking at is like 2027, 2028. So we understand that. But a franchise like the Kansas City Royals, you know, they went into it, you would believe, with hopes of we can compete in this division. And to be sitting at 45 and 101, uh, that's just wrong. So uh, that brings us to easily uh, the most uh, compelling uh, division. Uh, which is the American League West, where you've got uh, the Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners all separated by a game and a half. Who's going to win the AL West? I think the Astros are. They're a game up on the Rangers right now. And the Mar Rangers have had a great season, but their bullpen the last month has really fallen apart. I think the bullpen's one of the worst in baseball for the last month. You know, Corey Seager, when he's healthy and he's playing, is having a really good year. Marcus Simeon is a really good ball player. Seattle got off to an awful start to the season in, in April, May, they really turned it on, but they've hit a little bit of a funk. Now they're three and seven in their last 10 games, but I, I think the Astros still have the best team out there. Seattle's starting pitching is really good. Uh, but in the end of the day, I don't think they quite have the offense that the Astros do. So I'm giving the nod to the Astros. The ESPNers, 10 of them said the Astros as well. Four said the Mariners, three said the Rangers. All right, a couple more. Who do you got? Uh, who's your front runners for uh, AL and NL MVP? The AL and NL MVP. Let's go to the AL first. <laughs> Shohei Otani. I, I right. don't think you can really give anybody else the fact that, it, you know, if you just took his offensive numbers as a hitter, he's hitting 304, 102 runs, 44 homers, 95 RBIs, you know, 325 total bases, an OPS over 1,000. If he's just a hitter, you got to consider him one of the top three, you know, players for the MVP. But then you throw in the pitching, you know, 106 whip, 12 quality starts. He'd probably be in the top 10 for starting pitchers. So when you roll them together, I think it's Shohei Otani and nobody else. What? And by the way, just real quick, because this is going to be another big story. What, the, what's going to happen with Shohei, the Angels, the offseason? Well, this is going to be a second Tommy John surgery. So he's going to not be able to pitch all of next year. In addition to this, you know, obviously he's a hitter too. So he's able to do that, but talk about a big drop in your contract. Uh, you know, now that you're looking, I thought he was going to be possibly a $500 million player because of his value both ways, but you can't go there. He had Tommy John surgery in 2018. So this is the second time he's had that. They said the tear is not in the same place, but you just really got to wonder, okay, if it's not even in the same place, it means they fixed it, but yet it tore again. So who's to say it's not going to happen in another four or five years. So how can you go out on a limb and give him a 10, 12 year contract or something crazy like we saw with Mike Trout, et cetera. So I think it cost him a lot of money, but you know what? He wants to play both ways. These are some of the risks that you have, and especially with pitching in today's day and age with maximum effort on every pitch versus learning how to pitch and only using maximum effort in key situations. This is what I think is the result of that. Uh, the ESPNers were unanimous. They all said Shohei for the AL MVP. Who do you got for a National League contenders? That's a little tighter, isn't it? 
Oh, uh, yeah, there's several candidates you can look at here with Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr. Mookie Betts is having a great year with the Dodgers. But I go with Ronald Acuna Jr. This guy's hitting 333, second in the league in hitting, 37 homers. But the part that really jumps at me is 37 home runs and 65 stolen bases. I don't think any player has ever gone 30-60. I know we have the 40-40s in Jose Canseco, but you know, his OPS is over a thousand. The Braves are really talented, but to me, Ronald Acuna Jr., I think edges out Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman for the NL MVP. I tell you what, Steve, you want to, you want another gig ESPN might, might be on to you because uh, you keep agreeing with their panel. Uh, although it was close, nine of them said Ronald Acuna Jr. The rest said uh, Mookie Betts for uh, National League MVP, which of course means we have to ask what about the Cy Youngs in National League and MV er, and American League in any order. In the American League, I have Garrett Cole, which is a shame because Garrett Cole's had an outstanding season for the Yankees at the Yankees sitting one game above five, 500 they paid him a lot of money to come in here you know this the yankees were his childhood team so he was really happy to go play for the yankees but he's 13 and 4 he's got a whip of 103 he's had 22 quality starts you can look at kevin gosman with toronto you know luis castillo framber valdez with houston's had a really good season as well but to me it's garrett cole in the american league which is what most of the espn writers said and, and since you mentioned he pitches for the yankees it, it, it reminds me to go back a step just for the, a, a quick version of the age-old argument unanimously you included everyone says shohei otani for mvp what about the argument how valuable can you be for such a terrible team I think you can be very valuable for a terrible team. And if you can go out and, you know, I'm rolling into the early seventies when I believe Carlton, Steve Carlton for the Philadelphia Phillies won 27 games. I think the team won like 60 games. I mean, he won like almost half of the team's games. It just shows how valuable you are. And that be brings up the age old argument. Is it the most valuable player on the best team or is it the most valuable player to their league? I do put the team's record into it because if you are on a very bad team, you're not playing in high pressure situations. You know, look, we're playing, fighting for a playoff spot. We're fighting to win the division. So you have a lot of, you know, what I would say is more of that low stress games you're playing. Cause it really doesn't matter. Cause your team's not very good. So that's a little bit different, but to me, Garrett Cole was clearly better than these other pitchers. In addition to that, you know, he won 13 and four with a Yankees team. That's 500 and 13 wins in today's game is a pretty good number because pitchers don't stay in games long enough to get wins anymore. And that's why we see, you know, other pitchers that sit there at like seven, eight, nine wins. And they're a pretty good pitcher and they've got 28 plus starts. It's crazy how the win has disappeared in baseball. Well, and back to the bitch fest that we started with, there's another thing uh, in our day, if you go back eighties, even nineties, uh, when it came to great pitchers in a season, the mark was 20 wins. I mean, unless yes. you had somebody who was like 19 and two with a 1.4 ERA, it's like, you got to win 20 and now 13 wins is, Ooh, wow. It's the gold standard. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame, but you know, we, we watched it with Felix Hernandez in Seattle pretty much said it when he won the Cy Young. And I think he was like 13 and 13 or something like that with the Mariners back then. Uh, we watched it with Jacob DeGrom and nothing against DeGrom. I mean, DeGrom's one of the best pitchers in, in all of baseball when he's healthy, but when you can go out there and win the 
Cy Young and really not even really get into double digits and wins. It's just a shame because to me, another part of this is, isn't my goal as a starting pitcher to get a W for the team? It should be to win the game. That's the most important thing. The other stats, they all fall in line. But my first most important stat is to win the game. And for me to go get 20 wins, obviously I won for the team. But the other stats have to fall in line because nobody's going to walk a bad pitcher out there and let him get 20 wins, but yet he can't get anybody out. It's just not going to happen. So wins used to be a big factor in the Cy Young. It no longer is. So National League Cy Young goes to who, according to you? I'm going to Justin Steele of the Cubs. Here's a guy most people don't even know. The guy's 16-3 and for the Cubs. You know, the Cubs are 10 games above 500, I believe. They're fighting for that playoff spot. They still got a shot to win the division. You know, a 2.49, so he's among the leaders, if not the leader in ERA. His whip's 1.13. He's had 20 quality starts for a team that wasn't even expected to be there. So talk about taking a team that was considered a 500 team. They have them 10 games above 500. And a big part of that's Justin Seal. But I think the NL Cy Young is a lot tighter than, you know, Zach Gallons had a good year with the Diamondbacks. Corbin Burns is leading the, the Brewers there. Blake Snell has been really good for a bad Padres team. Everybody had high expectations for them. Logan Webb for the Giants has had a really good year. Talk about a guy who doesn't get run support. Seems like every game he goes out there. I watched a game last week, and I think we're 0-0 in the sixth, seventh inning, throwing great. They left him in a little too long. He gave up a couple of runs, got a loss. Uh, Zach Wheeler for the Phillies is having a good year. So, But I give it to Justin Steele, who's getting it done 16-3 and three with a bad team leading the league or right amongst the leaders in ERA, whip, and everything else. Got a couple emails that have come in, RID at radradio.com. Now, I, I, I missed this if it did happen. Uh, Jennifer wrote in, said, I love the sports show. Thank you. I'm pretty sure I heard Steve say that Freddie Freeman on the Braves is great. Well, he was, but Matt Olson is now on the Braves. My favorite team from Atlanta. Did I miss here? Uh, I love the Braves. I love the show. Did you say Freddie Freeman was on the Braves? Do you remember? I'm sorry. I I, I may have said that, but he's on the Dodgers. Yeah, I don't know why both of us would not have caught that. Uh, You know, and see, and that's one of those things that, if I was the Dodgers, I wouldn't have let Freeman. I mean, if I was the Braves, I wouldn't have let Freeman get away. Yeah. But you know what? Matt Olson coming in, really good, outstanding year this year. I mean, talk about, you know, 51, 52 homers, 128 RBI. I mean, he's had an outstanding season. So, yes, I believe I may have misspoke. You know, us old timers, we <laughs> tend to, you know, these players move around. You know, I still consider Mookie Betts a Red Sox. So, even though he's with the Dodgers. And I still think of Mookie Wilson when anybody brings up Mookie Betts. That's how old I am. Uh, we also got one more email here from Dimitri who says, Steve, do you think the Cincinnati Reds have a shot at the wild card this year? They were supposed to suck and did most of the year. Then they've had some decent streaks to give Cincinnatians some hope. But like most sports things related in this town, it's being pulled back quick. It's kind of a shame because I really like this Reds team. I think they have a lot of talent. I think their future is really bright. De La Cruz at shortstop, unbelievable player. They got some really good young arms in that rotation. I, I just don't think they're ready to get it done. I'd love to see them make the playoffs, but if I'm a Reds fan, I'm really excited for the next five years or so. Obviously, the closing question uh, for uh, predictions for the rest of Major League Baseball, who you got in the World Series right now today? 
I got the Braves because I do think they are the best team in baseball. And I have them playing the Astros because I think they have a little bit more starting pitching. Again, the Orioles bullpen is outstanding. I just don't know if they have enough starting pitching to get, you know, over the hump and into the World Series. So I have the Braves Astros. And, and keep in mind with what I do, it's tough for me to see dark horses. There's teams that I like that, hey, look, they got a future. They got have some. But, you know, when you watch it day in and day out and you watch them play over the 162-game schedule, it's tough for me to find the, you know, the Madison Bumgarners. I, I mean, I still to this day, Giants won three World Series. Congratulations to them. Great team, great coaching, et cetera. But I'll never tell you that they're the best team in the league those years because they really weren't. They got hot at the right time. Madison Bumgarner has been outstanding in his career and postseason. But to sit and say they were the best team because they won the World Series, I, I, I give them the World Championship. But, again, it's tough when you watch them play, you know, 175 games to say they were the best team in 175 games. Well, and that's always the age-old argument, too. It's more so in football where, you know, it, it's one game each. You know, it's only 17 games in the season and, and such. But a lot of times the best team – doesn't win you can just pick out any game but last weekend in the nfl who's going to make the argument that, that the cleveland browns are a better team than the cincinnati Bengals? but it it does happen uh and, it, and like you said all that matters in the end are the championships and mm -hmm. we can't take that away from them so by the way overwhelmingly the espn writers also said uh the predictable astros braves world series so for uh, college football steve just a few highlights uh texas went into tuscaloosa and beat alabama uh, 34 to 24 last weekend, and now they and they shot up in the rankings. So is Texas one of the teams we're watching now as we head all the way to the the, the college football playoffs? I think they have to be a team you're going to watch. They have a quarterback that's going to go probably in the top 10 picks. And anytime you have a quarterback that's a top 10 pick in the NFL, you got to take the team serious. They're talented. They're Texas. They're able to recruit anywhere in the nation. I'm just not sold that they are, you know, the, one of the top four teams. Impressive win in Alabama. I had my concerns in Alabama because they were going to go back to that conservative running game, and they were nowhere near as explosive as they've been the past few years. But keep in mind, they haven't won it the last couple of years either in Alabama, so they're kind of going through that rebuilding as well. Clemson let me down. I really thought Clemson <laughs> was going to rebound this year and come back. In their first game, they looked awful. They couldn't move the ball at all. So you, you got to take Texas. But until somebody can beat Georgia, you know, it's kind of hard to put anybody with the Georgia standard. Uh, from the it's way too early uh, pile, you mentioned uh, Quinn Ewers, uh, the Texas quarterback. The one everybody's talking about is Caleb Williams. You know, you got to get in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes if you're in the NFL. But is so there's two things you know historically Heisman Trophy winners don't necessarily make the best NFL players uh but everybody's like Caleb Williams is not only going to be the number one pick he's going to win the Heisman overall does he have competition that you see for the Heisman and what does the quarterback draft look like for 2024 this early is it is it a great year good year yeah well, for the Heisman, Caleb Williams is the front runner. He's sitting at four to one odds. You have Jordan Travis, the quarterback at Florida State. 
Him and Quinn Ewers are sitting at seven to one. Ewers is the quarterback at Texas. You've got Michael Penix. He's a quarterback at Washington, sitting at about nine to one. And the the player that keeps rising up, and everybody's starting to hear about Shadur Sanders, the quarterback at Colorado, because of what Colorado's doing. He's up to twenty one. I mean twenty to one. And there are NFL executives saying that he will be a first round pick. I don't think they would have said that a couple of weeks ago but he really looks good. The season's long one. You got to stay healthy, you know, and that's the key. You have to play on a great team that continues to win because even if you play all right, AKA Kirk cousins, and you put up the stats, doesn't mean you can win the Heisman if your team doesn't win at all. So it's a long ways to go. You know, Ewers with Texas, he's more of the pocket quarterback. He's not the guy who runs around. So if you're looking for, you know, and he's nowhere, near the elevated, like say uh, Andrew Luck was coming out of Stanford, who again, didn't play on a good team necessarily, you know, went to Stanford. It wasn't like he came out of Alabama or something like that, but he is more of the pocket quarterback, the Caleb Williams. He can run, he can throw, he can do pretty much everything. As far as the talent in the draft, there's a good amount of talent in this draft. I think there's potential for four quarterbacks in the first round. If it's less than four, I'd kind of be surprised. And you're probably looking at like two more in the second round and at least one more in the third round. So you're looking at probably seven quarterbacks, possibly more that go in the first three rounds. So, you know, everyone's looking for quarterbacks because that's the most important position in all of sports. And uh, there's some good ones out there. You know, your, uh, your, your bailiwick obviously professionally is uh, sports betting and we should work up and over, over under on, I would say, the number zero. Number of podcasts you and I will do together where we won't take some sort of shot at Kirk Cousins. <laughs> it's probably zero. Uh, you I'm with you. You mentioned Dion's kid at Colorado. I'm going to keep bringing this up until until it's not a story. Uh, they, they did it again, and uh, we, we did talk a little bit about it before. The Buffaloes, They've got they've got ten more games scheduled right now. Six of them are against ranked teams, so they've got some serious contenders coming down the road. But boy, does his kid look amazing at quarterback, and he is he is willing them to win. But it looks like there's a lot of talent. It's the same question: the realness of Buffalo, or the Buffaloes out of Colorado to you. It's incredible, and I want to throw something at you that I've heard. I haven't backed it up because I see the numbers. This is probably something that you would be able to back up. But this Colorado phenomena is nationwide. From what I heard, the Colorado Nebraska normally not a big game. A nine o'clock Saturday morning game had more viewership than Alabama, Texas in prime time. Think about that a second. You're talking Alabama, Texas, two of the nation's leading football franchises in that sense. And prime time and a nine o'clock Saturday morning is the biggest game viewership in the nation. Amazing when you even think about that. And, And if they did, not quite. They had to be really close to the drawing there. But Colorado, uh, you know, they're playing Colorado State this week. I believe they're a 22, 22 and a half point favorite. Then they have Oregon. And if they can beat Oregon, they follow up the next week with USC. Oof. If they can roll into USC, Oregon, both undefeated, 
that could be one of the biggest college football games of the year. I mean, you know, you're up there with Ohio State, Michigan, if they get late into the season when they play and they're both undefeated. But that USC Colorado game, both teams undefeated, that would be a lot of fun to watch. Well, and back to your first point, the USC game is in Colorado. Uh, and so it becomes even bigger. And, and the numbers, I did see the initial numbers, which did say, yes, the Colorado-Nebraska game got more total viewers and even outranked uh, the, uh, the the Texas game. And then there's there's an anecdotal side to this, which proves nothing, but, 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 it, but it does towards the end here is I was watching the Colorado-Nebraska game. I wasn't going to miss that. And I'm not the biggest college football fan. And uh, Dion came out. I was watching the pregame. Then Dion came out for the interview, and he's wearing this prime sweatshirt, which is so cool. And I right away hit the internet. I go, I'm getting that. And I wanted the one he was wearing, the white hoodie. Sold out everywhere. Sold out at Colorado's website. And when I did some more research, that thing sold like that. They They... It's not the first time he's worn it, but they cannot keep up with the back orders. And so Colorado gear, I do know, is flying off the shelves nationwide. He, he has touched something in a lot of people around this country that's making them for now pay attention. So it's it seems real to your point. Yeah, and I don't see him staying that long in Colorado. He He's going to be at the end of this year. He's He's going to get, you know, a top college if that's really where he wants to go. Would not shock me in any way if an NFL team comes after him. Yeah. I think Deion Sanders can pretty much name where he wants to go uh, when it comes to head coaching opportunities at the end of this year because he's already shown it. I mean, everyone's bought into this, and he's backing it up. Boy, you know, as he says, he's taking receipts, yeah. but man, he he's backing it up. And and you know, continue the storyline. The imagine an NFL team positioned right comes calling and he drafts his own kid to play quarterback now we're in the nfl doing the same story and, and you know i had not even thought about that but wow how great you, you know the, the thing that's on the horizon that i'm looking at is lebron's hanging out because he wants to play in the nba with Bronny. Right. We we all know that it's just is Bronny going to be good enough to play in the nba many people think he will and that would be I think in LeBron's mind, like his greatest achievement over his NBA titles and everything, I played in the NBA with my son. Deion Sanders can coach his kid on an NFL team. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, that's a father's dream. And it, it's to continue your point, it's a story America loves, and they mm -hmm. root for it. And even if, they, even if he goes to a team that they hate, you still root for the story because it's just so – Cool. Um, all right, so let's let's jump to the NFL. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers tears his uh, left Achilles tendon in Monday night's game with the Bills after four plays. He's done. Uh, for now, Zach Wilson is the starting quarterback. The only backup they have is Tim Boyle. Something's going to have to change there. Publicly, they're saying Zach's the guy. Before we get into that, Steve, I have a question that occurred to me Tuesday morning. I get... I understand why they did it. They probably wanted to clear out the locker room. They didn't want any politics, any weirdness, or that kind of thing. But do the 49ers kick themselves for getting rid of Trey Lance when they did to the Cowboys for what they did when here we are in week one, an NFL team coached by a former coordinator for the Niners who knows the system, knows the people, and knew Trey Lance even though he was on the defensive side. 
maybe would have been calling and offering more than a fourth round pick. It's kind of a goofy, what are you going to do? 2020 hindsight question, but it, 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 is this an example of, Oh, if you would have just waited, I think this falls under, there's more going on to the story behind the scenes that we as fans, you know, don't have access to. I, I think the 49ers had to view it somewhat as Lance has got to be a little bit toxic. There's got to be something going on because you're not paying him that much money. You, you, he can sit on the bench. It's not going to affect the salary cap in any way. It wasn't that, hey, if we kept Trey Lance, we couldn't have signed Bosa you know, to his contract. So I don't believe any of that part of it. But, you know, if the player is going to be toxic in some senses, if it's that, you know, I roll back to Belichick with Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Look, I didn't want the reporters asking all these questions. I didn't want the constant, you know, hey, look, if I throw an interception, I'm going to come off the field because that's what the fans and the media are expecting. You know, those are things that have to go into that decision as well. And and the 49ers as a franchise, to me, pretty much said, Trey Lance is not going to be on this roster. Even if we have to release him, he will not be in the roster. And I know it may be too soon, but but I think that's the stance they took and put it out there. Look, best offer gets him. It happened to be the Cowboys, which is, I believe, why they put out best offer because in an ideal world, the Niners are not making a trade with the Cowboys. But if that's your best, I can get a fourth or I can get a fifth from the Jets. I'm taking the Cowboys fourth because that's a better offer and I'm willing to do that. So that's kind of my take on it. I don't have obviously insight. I'm not in the locker rooms, but to me, I think Trey Lance was done with the 49ers. And I think push come to shove. If no one even offered him, they may have just released them. No, that's the impression I get from from the reading, the things that I, I see it, it is exactly that. There is more to it. And I, I also get the impression it was not a universally loved decision. There was a split front out there when you see guys like uh, comments that Joe Montana made versus what Steve Young said about Trey Lance. And, and, and when you read between the lines, you can tell there was something that was not allowing everyone to be in agreement either in yeah, he should stay or get rid of him, which I think plays right to your point, is th there there was more to it. And, and so uh, that leads us back to the Jets. And, uh, the, again, publicly they say Zach Wilson. Well, we know they've got to get a backup, and I know a lot of us are not convinced Zach Wilson is the guy for the, the long haul. So this starts every article on every show, on every website of what do the Jets do? Let's get rid of the obvious one first. You lure Tom Brady out of retirement. All indications are there's no chance. But do you you at least make the phone call, right? And then this story is probably going to be gone by tomorrow. I don't even know if that's an option for the Jets because Brady's now part owner of the Raiders. Good point. Uh, and that's where <laughs> I think the Tom Brady comes off the shelf. If Brady's going to play, I don't think he can really play at this point with any team other than the Raiders. So I think Brady's gone. The Jets have to come out and say Zach Wilson's their quarterback. They have to right. show that support. We all know it's not the case. They went after Aaron Rodgers. There's stories coming out that said the Jets reached out to the Rams about Matthew Stafford and possibly bringing him in. So we know the Jets front office and coaching staff does not believe Zach Wilson is the answer. It's just a case of we have to show him the support right now because Aaron Rodgers is out for the season. And it puts them in a tough position because there's a lot of people out there in these different talk shows talking about 
Aaron Rodgers isn't going to go out this way. He's going to fight. He's going to come back. He's going to play because he doesn't want to go out this way. You know, if you're worth like $300 million, you're 39 years old, you've been with the Jets for a cup of coffee, you were 90% sure you were retiring at the end of last year. Are you putting in the work to come back? I'm not sure you are because he doesn't owe anything to the Jets. He doesn't have that. I've played my whole career with this team. I want to go out, you know, on a winning note. So I'm not sure he does come back with, if that's the case, how can the Jets really invest some future draft picks, et cetera, to pick up a stopgap for this year? So the Jets, to me, are in a tough situation because we don't want to go out and get a long-term answer if Aaron Rodgers is coming back, but we don't want to invest in a short-term answer if Aaron Rodgers isn't coming back. And now we've traded away draft picks in 24, possibly into 25. And, you know, what's really put your team in a bad position. I think the Jets are going to be better than people think because I think this defense is really legitimate. I don't think the defense is going to give up, you know, more than 28 points a game type of thing. I think they're a top five defense. It's just, is the offense going to be able to score any points? So uh, the, the scenario you laid out about the quarterback quandary is what has led to a few pretty interesting rumors, uh, one of which doesn't take care of the draft pick problem most likely, but it does get you a potential immediate fix and somebody that you're not committed to in the future financially, except for whatever you've got to give up to get him. A lot of people are throwing around your friend and mine, Kirk cousins, and that the Vikings might already be realizing what I've been saying all season uh, or preseason that the Vikings are going the wrong way. He is not signed. He's a free agent in 2024. There's got to be a reason that they didn't give him the extension that was barely talked about in the offseason. I mean, I know you and I think it's a terrible idea because it's Kirk Cousins, but it's probably better than than Zach Wilson. I don't know. But that's one that's out there that's gaining a little traction. I, I don't I'm not necessarily sure it's something that would happen now. I, I my opinion would be the Vikings would have to see themselves lose a few more games and be something like, you know, one and four or somewhere in that where they're going, okay, we we gotta just cut bait. But do you buy that one at all? I can see it. The couple of questions I would have with that is the, the salary cap. You know, we can sit on the sideline and say all this. The financial parts, we're not privy to that. We don't know how much cap space they have and what contracts they have out there. And and really, you know, do the Vikings pay the majority of the contract to trade them? Well, if that's the case, then they're going to get a decent amount in like a first-round draft pick or something like that to give them, which the Jets may not be able to have. If I'm the Vikings, I'm not paying Kirk Cousins unless he's playing for me. And it's one game into the season. Why am I throwing it all away? Yes, the Lions look good, but it's still the lions. You know, you're not fearful of the bears. You're not fearful of the Buccaneers. So it's a very winnable dis- division for the Vikings. If Kirk cousins can do what they sign him to do and actually make key throws and big games and find ways to win you and I don't like him because we don't <laughs> think he can do those things. He just is numbers on paper, but the jets, I mean, the Vikings obviously think he's a quality quarterback, so I can't see that one happening. You know, there's Carson Wentz who's sitting on the sideline right now. You know, is he better than Tim Boyle as your backup? That's a question for the organization. I would think he is better than Tim Boyle. So I would have Carson Wentz in. Hey, look, let's let's give it a shot. 
I think they just got to sit back, watch how this plays out. Maybe Zach Wilson has figured out to be a game manager. And that's all the Jets really need. They need a game man. If Teddy Bridgewater was out there, I think the Jets would go on a would have already signed him as the backup. But Bridgewater sitting in Detroit as the backup uh for golf with the Lions. But they just need a game manager sitting there who is ready to come in if Zach Wilson is the train wreck he's been early on in his career to just manage the game. Just don't give me turnovers. We have a good enough defense to win the game, keep us in the game, just like Brian Dobble did with the Giants last year. Keep me in the game. Let the opponent make the mistake. We capitalize it, and hopefully we can win the game. A couple other names that I've seen out there getting bandied about, and you go back down like uh, Carson Wentz, the, the, basically the free agent route, uh, and you don't have to take a big draft pick hit. Joe Flacco, Matt Ryan. And then the possibility of picking up uh, Jameis Winston from the Saints uh, because he's 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 backing up Derek Carr and doesn't have a future. Any of those you like at this point or any time? I don't see Jameis Winston because Derek Carr always gets hurt and you're not going to go there <laughs> because the Saints are still favored to win that division. So to me, he's off the table. Joe Flacco makes sense. He's been with the Jets. He's been with this team. He was there last year, I believe, with the Jets. So I could see a Joe Flacco. And I would think Flacco would be really interested. So to me, Flacco probably makes the most sense of all of them. Knows the system, been with the team, probably wants to see what he can do with this wide receiver core, you know, and the defense. So to me, he makes sense. But again, we've seen it. We've seen Flacco with the Jets. He's not a difference maker either. So, All right. Uh, feel free to laugh out loud at this story, uh, which I did when I saw it yesterday, just to wrap all this up. Uh, Colin Kaepernick's agent did confirm that they reached out to the New York Jets about replacing Aaron Rodgers. Of course, he hasn't played in seven seasons. We've talked about this for seven years, Steve. I don't even know at this point if it's always a publicity stunt or if we're supposed to actually believe that he would even be on the table or that he would be a good idea. I believe it's the publicity stunt it's always been. I, I think it, over the years we've talked about it. Colin Kaepernick had opportunities early in his career. He was not willing to accept those different opportunities. Denver wanted him. He wouldn't take a pay cut. So they moved on and got somebody else. Seattle wanted him. He was going to uh, the Colts, I believe it was. And his girlfriend made the comment about the Colts owner and everything off of that. Kaepernick's had opportunities. And I think if he, his desire Back when he was with the 49ers was really to play in the NFL. I believe he would have gone a different route. He didn't. And to me, that's why he's sitting on the outside. And, and as an NFL team, I think he's hasn't played in seven years. I mean, we watched Deshaun Watson sit out for the first 12 games last year and really look rusty. You haven't played in seven years. I don't care what kind of shape you're staying in. You're not NFL ready, nor do I believe you will ever be in a NFL ready. And he was, yes, he had moments with the Niners. He was really good. But that, to me, was Harbaugh using his strengths and making him look great. He he can't read a defense. He can't, th you know, he can only read half the field. There's so many limitations with him that I, I don't see any team 
ever considering him as an option. You touched on uh, the Jets' uh, defense, which we've all known was going to be good. It looked great on Monday night, and I, I agree, and I've heard other people agree it's a top-five defense. Whatever they do at quarterback, is this, though, is this a Jets team that is a playoff contender but not a championship contender with what we know now? Even with the game manager, which is what I think they need to do, they're a playoff contender. I just don't think they're a Super Bowl contender because when you get in the playoffs, obviously you're playing against the best of the best. And at that point, you're going to need your quarterback to step up and make some big plays in key situations to win those games because you might find yourself down seven or ten points. And then you have to have a quarterback who takes control. You can't just continue managing the game and hoping the opponent team turns the ball over to give you that shot at a short field for the touchdown. So I think with a game manager, they're still a playoff team. I just, I don't put them in the Super Bowl odds. And and that's why you'll see right now, the Jets went from anywhere around 15 to 18 to one. They're up to 60 to one because nobody feels the Jets are a serious Super Bowl contender now. I'm going to jump to uh, the, the week one overreactions. This is what we do, especially earlier in the season. You, you figure out, everything that you need to know about where the season's going based on one game. And it actually leads us to an email we just got from Jay um, because uh, basically most of, most of the, the, the writing on, on Tuesday uh, after week one was over was, you know, if you're going to pick your most impressive performance of the weekend, I kept seeing three contenders and Jay wants to ask you about one of them uh, or both of us uh, says, uh, Hey, Rob and Steve, I'm curious if you think the Dallas Cowboys can keep up the stampede or if week one was just a fluke against what is maybe a surprisingly bad team, they looked on fire, but that's a biased opinion from a diehard Cowboys fan. They won 40 to nothing over the giants who were a playoff team last year. Uh, and I think you still think the giants are, 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 are okay. Um, but are the Cowboys that good? I mean, that's a big win. The, the Cowboys had an impressive win. The Cowboys defense going into the season, we all knew it was going to be good. I think we also watched the Cowboys, as we discussed last week, the Cowboys offense is going to go. McCarthy's calling the plays now. You know, Kellen Moore is not there. You're going to see a lot more run first, use the running game to set up the passing game. You're going to see Dak Prescott much more into this 25, 28 passes a game because he's not going to win throwing 40, 45, the giants. On the other hand, prior to last year, the giants and Daniel Jones has been a turnover machine. We watched it again. The defense for the Cowboys stepped up big interceptions made the game go away real quick. I mean, it was up and you were into the second quarter and this game was over and, and everyone knew it was over. So the Cowboys are a very good team. I put them probably third or fourth in the NFC but I, I, I can't put them ahead of the Eagles. I can't put them ahead against the 49ers. I'm still trying to figure out if I believe they're better than the Lions right now because mm. the Lions went on in KC to me was extremely impressive. And I know Kelsey was out, was out and Jones was out. Kansas City is one of the toughest fields to go on the road to go win at. And the Lions did. And the Lions historically for the last 30 years has been an awful road team. So, you know, I'm not convinced that the Cowboys are that much better than the lions, but very impressive win for the Cowboys. So we're going to jump over to the AFC before we come back to the NFC. Cause I mentioned there's three teams that, that a lot of people are saying most impressive. Uh, and the, the, the second of the two behind the Cowboys, um, not ranking them just to the, before we get to the third one 
is the Miami Dolphins, which I find a little interesting because I don't know how much of it is based on the fact that they they beat the Chargers, who I don't know if we all know how good the Chargers are going to be yet, but a lot of people are giving them credit. Um, it was a close game, 36-34, and then the, the stop at the end. Yeah, Tua threw for almost 500 yards. Um, do you put the Dolphins on that list as, as one of the most impressive from week one? See, this to me is that overreaction. We discussed last week, and I said the Dolphins to me were one of those surprise teams I think is a lot better than people think. Now I'm seeing him in like Colin Coward's rankings. He's the number two team in the NFL. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Dolphins are not the second best team in the NFL. Their defense was suspect at best. The Chargers do what they do best in big games, blow a lead, give up the lead with like a minute 20 to go in the lead. And then they get the ball back with the chance and their offensive line can't protect anyone and, and game over. So while I do believe the Dolphins are a very good team, we saw Tua have a big day. Tyreek Hill went over 200 yards receiving Dolphins running game. Jeff Wilson is out for the first four games. Is Mostert really going to make it happen? You know, McDaniel, again, coming out of that 49ers team, I think they do a great job in finding running backs and a running back by committee and bringing su success out of that running back position. It's a really good Dolphins team. I'm not ready to say they're even a top five or six team. I think they're more in that nine range in the NFL. So, but again, people quickly adjust. Oh, they put up 36 points. They beat the chargers on the road and they anoint them a little bit faster than they should. And I, I'm pretty sure though, you do agree with uh, the other team that everybody's putting in that top three, even though everybody expects big things out of them. In terms of using the word impressive, the San Francisco 49ers, they did right look pretty good going across the country into Pittsburgh. Yeah, the Steelers, they're they're not the Bills, but they're not nearly as bad as they as some people think they could be. And they looked like the, the Niners looked postseason ready, it seemed to me, but I'm biased because I'm a fan. Well, I, I think the 49ers team you saw is why I have them winning the Super Bowl. I, I I'll go to Deion Sanders here. We did what we expected to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Niners played the game. They expected they're a well-coached team. We saw it. They went out, executed both sides of the ball. And that to me that we watched is the 49ers team. As long as they stay healthy. And as long as they do that, that's why I believe they are the best team in the NFL. I, I just, I watched the game and it didn't catch me by surprise. And don't get me wrong. I think Steelers have some injuries that came out of that game, which is unfortunate for, but I think this is a pretty good Steelers team, but the Niners did what I expect them to, to do. I didn't expect it in week one. I'll be honest with you. there, going on the road. I thought it was a tough situation. There, that was a spot that, you know, I would tell you that I thought the Steelers had a decent chance to win, but that was expecting the Niners team to not be fully prepared and playing as good as they can play. And they executed and, and had a great game plan. We'll do a, a quick little preview of, of the next upcoming games, uh, or, and certainly this weekend in a second. But uh, it, it is possible. I mean, anything is possible. But it, we could get to uh, week five when uh, the Niners host the Dallas Cowboys for Sunday Night Football, and both teams could be 4-0 undefeated. Uh, and uh, that could be, and that could again be a preview of uh, the NFC Championship uh, game. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, what if we went the other way, though, Steve? If you go to if you go to biggest surprises, but we start with bad. Um, 
you didn't seem to take so seriously how bad the Bengals played in terms of oh god they're they're not they're not going to be they're not going to make it and I, again I I don't think you think the Giants are are going to be awful this year but any what what were the couple of surprises on the bad side that make you go oh boy I don't know uh the Bengals were that was a bad game I, I they struggle with Cleveland Joe Burrow the team that really gives Burrow fits is, you know, the Cleveland Browns. Burrow, I believe, came out last year through like three interceptions in the first game. So historically, he hasn't played really well in week one. The the part that worries me a little bit with that Bengals terrible showing is this week they're hosting the Ravens. They're three and a half point favorites. But when you start getting into those 0-2 teams, the Bengals actually start 0-2. That's tough to make the playoffs. And that's the part that has me a little bit worried here, but I do believe the Bengals are one of the top four teams in the AFC. I think they'll be there. I think they just stubbed their toe in the first game. Burrow had that calf injury, really didn't get the reps, and it showed. I mean, I think he threw for 82 yards. Yeah. The team had something ridiculous, like what, four or five first downs of the whole game. It was awful if you actually look at the stats. But I, I think the Bengals team is a lot, lot better than what we watched in that first game. Are the Giants a lot, lot better than getting shut out 40 to nothing at home? Yeah, they're better. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. They got the Cardinals this week. I, it wouldn't shock me if they come out and win by two touchdowns here and everybody, you know, backs off the Giants and how bad they are. I never put the Giants as a serious playoff team. I think this is a team that's going to win you know, seven, eight, maybe nine games. If they get to 10 wins, 10 and seven, I'd be shocked. So they're a team that I think is going to flirt with the 500. And, you know, they beat the Cardinals this week. They're at one and one, sitting right at the 500 mark. So I just, I'm not sold on Daniel Jones. That to me is what it comes down to. I think the player we saw early in his career that we didn't see last year, the turnover machine is still going to pop up on occasion and is going to cost the Giants some games. And, and uh, you know, that's a big part of what happened last week against the Cowboys early on. Turnovers, Cowboys capitalize, one up big, game over. So uh, somewhere between surprises and overreactions, uh, after one week, are you sold on Jordan Love as the Packers quarterback? No, I'm not sold on Love as of yet. He's going to have to do it for – you know, five, six, seven weeks before I'm going to really get sold on it. But the advantage Jordan Love has is they have a really strong running game in Dylan and Aaron Jones. So he's going to be able to rely on that running game. I, you know, the Packers are good. I'm still not sold. He is the quarterback of the future. The sad part for the Packers front office is, you know, this is his fourth year. Do, you know, do they pick up his fifth year option or are they didn't pick it up, but they need to know quickly and they need to know early in the season if they're going to commit. And if they're going to commit, they got to sign him to one of these huge contracts quarterbacks get, and then they're stuck with him if he really isn't. And it's going to set the franchise back even farther because they're going to give him 30 plus million a year for four or five years. And if he's not the quarterback of the future, you have that contract on your books. And, you know, with the signing bonus and the guaranteed money, and then they got to go back into the draft. So it's, I feel for the Packers and they need to find out fast if he's their quarterback of the future. So if it's me, I'm putting him to the test. I'm really putting him in high stress situations to see if he folds or if he steps up 
because I need to know and I need to know quickly. On the other side of the ball in that same game, we're talking about do we have our quarterback of the present or the future? Justin Fields literally came out and apologized on behalf of himself and the Bears after that game. And he has been the the guy since last season where it's like it's all on it's all on Justin Fields. You gotta do it now. Um I what 38-20 I believe it was you know it's it's a rivalry game uh but um the bears they have had a rough run too Are, did they get deflated after one week I think it's unfair for Justin Fields Justin Fields is a really talented quarterback he has nothing else on the team that's really very good I mean they went out and they picked up DJ Moore you know they got Mooney at wide receiver so they have a couple of wide receivers but on the whole, this team is not that talented. I, I'm not sold that the coaching staff is really very good. Even if they fire the coaching staff, now they're bringing in another head coach and another offensive coordinator to try to get Justin Fields. This is just one of those situations that I think it's a shame because it, a quarterback can be really good, but it all depends on the situation you fall into. Brock Purdy fell into a great situation with the 49ers. Justin Fields has fallen into a terrible situation <laughs> with the Bears. So it's still hard to say, is Justin Fields a really good quarterback, which I believe he's really talented and a really bad roster and a really bad front office? Or is he one of those looks great in practice, has all the tools, can be wonderful, but doesn't study the film, you know, really doesn't put in the work that you want to see from your starting quarterback, doesn't have the work ethic of Tom Brady on the first in, you know, last out. And to me, that's where it's hard because these are things we don't see, you know, with these quarterbacks, how much film are they studying and all these other things. We can just go by what we read in articles and what we see on the field. He's talented, but there's nothing on the Bears team. I mean, it's Justin Fields. You're going to lead the team in rushing. You're going to obviously be the quarterback. You're going to lead them in touchdowns. And, oh, by the way, you can't turn the ball over because the defense isn't very good because the defense is going to give up points on every one of your turnovers. It's just a bad situation. And on the on the possible surprise list as well, as we headed into the NFL season, the, all the power rankings, you know, everybody's got the Cardinals as the worst team in the NFL because we all believe they're tanking for Caleb Williams. But most of the time, the second worst team I saw, and they were always in the bottom five, was the Rams who came out. They scored a bunch. Um, and that's who the Niners have to go play in L.A. You got a rivalry game. That's this weekend. Um, the Rams maybe, are, I don't know, are, are they, are there, is there more there? I think there's more there and, and their roster was getting older. So they've had a lot of roster change there, but McVay is a great coach and, and he has adjusted the offense based to the talent on his team. And, and those are one of the things that when you can have rosters overturned and you're still able to keep your team competitive, I, I think that's a, a really big tribute to the head coach, Matthew Stafford, when he's healthy, is a very good quarterback. He's not elite, but you know he's in that second tier. Uh, they they have a, a rookie wide receiver, Nakwa or Nakwe. I don't Nakwe. I don't know which way you say it. Went over a hundred yards. You know Cooper Cups out. This guy steps up, has a really big game. The Rams historically have really given the 49ers trouble over the years. I just. I think this is going to be kind of that overreaction. I don't think the Niners come out, even though I say this is what they are. They may stumble a little bit here, but I don't believe the 49ers come out 
And I mean, the Rams come out and play against the 49ers anywhere near the level that we saw. I, I still question their running game at all. And if they can't run and it's Matthew Stafford having to throw, I watched this in Detroit for years, no running game. And Matthew Stafford's got to throw up 50 times a game. He's a good quarterback, but you, you don't have a chance when that's the way you're playing offense. And if we jump back to, to the, the Niners and Rams, so if the Niners don't get bogged down by looking past the Rams or the fact that it's a division rivalry, they're already 1-0, then they've got to go to L.A., play the Rams. Then they're home against the Giants and home against the Cardinals. And then they're home for Week 5 against the Cowboys, which is how you could have the two undefeateds mm -hmm. of, the, of the Cowboys and the Niners facing off for Sunday night football. Then the Niners jump a week later. To, they go to Cleveland, uh, and uh, then they've got uh, they got to go to Minnesota, and then they host Cincinnati to wrap up the give or take first half of the season. I mean, they could easily be seven and one, six and two uh, after after those. I would actually tell you six and two. I'd be disappointed. I, I, I put really? them at seven and one or eight. No, I, I think. And again, the schedule sets up nicely Ooh, for them. Just get the job done. You know, play discipline, stay in your lanes, don't miss tackles, don't turn the ball over, and take what the defense has given you. And they're sitting at 7 1, 8 0. Yeah. And I, 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 as a fan of the Niners, I either want them to be 7 and 1 or, or I want them to go into Philadelphia in week 13 and lose to the Eagles. Get, get that monkey off your back of the undefeated season thing because it distracts people. It's just, it's, it, I, if you're there to win Super Bowls, that thing just doesn't seem to help. Oh. I, I agree with you. And, and it's tough if you're sitting at 16 and 0 going into the last week of the season. You want to rest your starters. I know you got to buy going into the playoffs, but, you know, do you really want to just rest everyone because then you're giving away the perfect season? So you have to play everyone and then you run risk injuries and everything else and you have more pressure. So I'm with you. I, I want to see him get to like, Eight no somewhere in there. Get a loss somewhere, so then you can play the second half of the season. Seven and one to me would be ideal. But you're you're the best team in football. You have the loss, so it takes that added pressure off. And now just go and get the job done. The only good news in the scenario is if the Niners were undefeated late in the season, their last two games are the Commanders and the Rams. They might be able to play all of their second team and win both of those games. You know? <laughs> We would see it. Matthew Stafford healthy, though, and the, yeah. the Rams being a division. And they would you know, love opponent, to beat the Niners. They would yeah. love to knock the 49ers. So that would be the Rams Super Bowl right? if that scenario would play out. Um, and then, it, it, Steve, you're right there, ground zero. The Raiders. So after the Raiders beat Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, um, the stories all came out. The Raider players were just beaming with love for Jimmy Garoppolo saying wait, what a he, he's tough he's a dog he's a winner there's all this chemistry in the locker room and then you've got in the backdrop this chandler jones story which is just beyond weird and icky and what's going on with the raiders yeah this is where i referenced them as a train wreck last week because there's a lot going on with it jimmy g i really like him as a quarterback if i was the 49ers you know, you and I rolling back. I never would have traded Trey Lance for him. I'd have gone with Pitts, the tight end, if if you were to ever bring up the audio of it. Because you put Pitts with, you know, with Kittle and Debo Samuel and Ayuk. You can't stop the team because they all need double teaming, and you just can't do it. And I think that offense 
would have just been able to score, you know, unbelievable amount of points, but you know, we'll never know for sure. Jimmy G he just wins. I, I mean, we watch it and I'm wearing this in tribute to the big <laughs> win on the road for all those Raider fans out there, because I've talked a lot of trash on the Raiders for many years, Raiders. huge win for them. You know, and you just look at it and the Raiders model, just win, baby. Well, that's what Jimmy G, Jimmy G does. Woo. And if you're a, a teammate of him, I believe you have to love him. But the Chandler Jones, to me, is calling out the front office, calling out Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, you know, wasn't that long ago. He was in Denver. And again, he could easily be one of those guys who's a great coordinator and an awful head coach. And that's where I'm not convinced the entire locker rooms and unity, they might be in supporting Jimmy G. I'm just not sold that the locker room really feels that Josh McDaniel is their guy. I don't think they love him like a Sean Payton or anything like that. And uh, there, I believe there's a lot more going on behind the scenes and Chandler Jones is just kind of scratching the surface and he's a player who's willing to go to social media and, and I give them credit for that, but I'm not a huge fan of social media. I believe teams need to keep it behind closed doors and handle it in-house. But, you know, he's one of those players that feels there is so much going on here that's wrong that he he's taken the stance that he believes you've got to go to social media or people really won't know what's happening. Uh, we got this email as we kind of give our first preview of week two here uh, from uh, RAD at radradio.com. Logan wrote in. He says, the game I'm having the hardest picking this week is the Yuccaneers and the Bears. Both quarterbacks look god-awful. We just talked about Justin Fields. There's more to it than that. And I'm not sure which quarterback I trust more. This is possibly the worst game of the week, not only to pick, but also to watch. I mean, that is a that is a forker uh, already in the week two schedule. I, I'm, I'm not even sure. I haven't even thought of that one yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough game. The, the Buccaneers right now are a two and a half to three point favorite, depending on, you know, where you're looking. Buccaneers defense, though, I think is legit. I think they're a really good defense. So will they be able to contain Justin Field when he gets out of the pocket and starts running? If they are, I, I, I like the Buccaneers here. Not a fan of Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm not a fan at all. If they can just keep him from making those stupid plays and throwing those interceptions because he keeps thinking he is one of the elite quarterbacks and, oh, I can put the ball there. He has shown time and time again. He just doesn't have the talent of these elite quarterbacks. So I would lean towards the Buccaneers. They're at home, and they got a really good defense, and hopefully Baker just doesn't turn the ball over. But to me, I would need to look at the Bears. I'd need, I'd need the three. I would never consider laying the Buccaneers in this game. I'd never lay even the two and a half for me to even start handicapping this game. I got to have at least three with the bears. And then the question is, is do I really want three and a half? Cause the three really just gets me a push. It's a great number and what's what we're looking for. But to me, that's a tough game to handicap because there's too many uncertainties. You referenced the stat uh, earlier since the 12 team playoffs began in 1990, Teams that start 0-2 and even get to the postseason, 11.3% of them. It's one of those things that people, when they first get into football, they're like, 0-2, come on, there's still a whole season. But 11.3% uh, even get into the playoffs. You look at teams that are 0-1. Um, which ones are like, 
stand out in trouble. Buffalo hosts the Raiders. The Bengals host the Ravens. Uh, Seattle, which, I mean, they're not necessarily a contender, but they got to go into your Detroit Lions. The Chiefs go into Jacksonville. I don't know if there's a lot of trouble there, but what, what the Giants, they go to Arizona. They're going to get well right away. Is there some one or two you're looking at? Like I mean, You already mentioned uh, one of them earlier, but anybody else you're looking at that, oh, God, they're going to go 0-2? Well, the Bengals are the one that worries me the most. The yeah. Bengals are a three-and-a-half-point favorite right now at home against the Ravens. They start 0-2 you got to really start wondering here. I mean, they can't play as bad as they did in week one. I like the Bengals here because I think they need to step up and have to find it because I do believe in that. Oh, and two, the chiefs they're at the Jaguars. KC's a three point favorite right now. Even if the chiefs started Oh, and two, and I don't think they will, but even if they did, I'm not pushing the panic button there because they have the best quarterback in the league. They will figure it out and get it rolling in Kansas city. The Bills, you know, I've I've started having serious concerns with the Bills, a very talented roster, but they just can't figure out they need a running back, and they haven't for the last five years. We watched this, and we watched, you know, Josh Allen this last month. They're up 13. to th- This game is in the bag. Don't make any stupid throws. What's he do? He goes deep. He gets picked off four times in the game. All he had to do was be a game manager. He can't do that. So those are the things that worry me about the Bills. Yes, I do believe they're going to beat the Raiders. They may not cover, but I would have a hard time believing the Raiders are going to go into Buffalo and win that game. So I think the Bills come out with a one-on-one. And then you got the Chargers. It's a game they could have, should have won against the Dolphins. They didn't. They're at the Titans. Titans, again, can't pass the ball. We watched you know, Miami throw for 450 yards against this charger defense, but I'm not that concerned. Cause I know Tanny Hill and the Titans can't throw for 500 yards. So, you know, you got the chargers there. So to me, the Bengals are the one that's kind of in that look, we really need to win. Plus that's two division games, a loss to the Browns, a loss to the Ravens. Not only are you Owen two to start the season, you're Owen two within your division. That's a tough, Paul to climb that hill if you're owing to in your division to start the season we, we had very few terrible games in week one uh, the nfl continues to excite yeah sunday night was a blowout uh monday night you know the minute rogers went down everybody thought well this isn't a game it was one of the best of the weekend so it, it's it's silly to do this but this is what we do as fans when i look over the schedule based on what little we know uh after one week and basing a lot of it on last season you kind of like, I ho-hum at a lot of the matchups. It's like, well, I don't know. And that's why we watch, to see them turn out great. I think on paper, Ravens-Bengals is like the big one. That's what the one on Sunday. And the other one we alluded to earlier is the Thursday night game. The Vikings got to go into Philadelphia, or we are at, and, and I mean, unless they surprise us, we are at 0-2 for for the Vikings, and they're, they're going to try to be in that 11% as they consider what to do with their season. I mean, that's the other one that I'm looking at. Yeah, the Vikings, they really need to go into Philadelphia and win that. They start off 0-2, and, you know, let's say the Lions beat the Seahawks, which you got to hope they do, not just because of being a Lions (laughs) fan. But, you know, if they go home and they're home opener and they lose to the Seahawks, everything they accomplished with winning in KC goes down the drain. (sighs) But if they come out, they make a statement, they win that game, even if they don't cover the six-point spread, it's like, hey, look, we're 2-0. 
we are as good as we think we are. And then you continue building on that. And, and if the Vikings do lose, if you're the Vikings, you know, I think you do kind of look at Kirk Cousins because I don't think they're re-signing him at the end of the year. I, I think Cousins is gone. They're going in another direction. And so to me, that that is a big game as well for the Vikings. And the Eagles last week, you know, they should have won this game by a lot more. They let the Patriots back in that game. And, and it was surprising. And when it came crunch time, it wasn't that the Eagles were able to move the ball and move the chains and get the first downs. I mean, they turn the ball over, give the Patriots a shot, Patriots do nothing, and then they go three and out and punt and give the Patriots a shot again. That's not the Eagles offense we're used to seeing. And striking, you know, was their offensive coordinator last year. He's the head coach with the Colts now. So it's going to be interesting to see how good this Eagles offense really is going to be this year. They have a ton of weapons. They should be fine. But I think they're still struggling to figure out their identity on offense. You know, the other thing, too, with the Vikings, if they do the predictable and they go into Philadelphia and they lose and they start at 0-2, the Packers have to play Atlanta. They could easily win that game. The Packers could be 2-0, and if they're if not, you know, they're 1-1. and we're going to presume your Lions are going to win at home against Seattle for all the reasons you said. They'll be 2-0. and The Bears have the Yuccaneers, which we've already said is kind of a the – Packer, the, the Vikings could be the only winless team after week two, which is not just 0-2, but you are winless in your division if that happens. Co correct, which then you have to reevaluate because, you know, Justin Fields, you know, and the Bears, yeah, I, I think they get to like – six seven wins is the best they do so i'm not that worried there but the packers could be a lot better team than people think i mean if jordan love goes out and plays like he did last week and they're able to run the ball on top of it and their defense is you know top half of the league th this packers team's going to be a, a tough out you, you know they're gonna they're gonna play you tough every single week so if they start owing two now you're like look we're probably not as good as the packers and we're not as good as the lions you know, that's where you start wondering because I, I don't care what they say. And I know we played a win every single game, but if you're the owner, or you're the front office, you have to look longer term. And that's where it's at. If we're not bringing cousins back, that's where I think you could see Kirk cousins possibly going elsewhere. It's just, it, it gets into the money part. And that's the part that, you know, we don't see and fully understand, you know, where that plays out in these different discussions. Well, and also, as you, as you said, if they start out 0-2, if there are really four or five really high-quality quarterbacks for the draft, and, and, you know, pretty soon the Vikings are starting to look at, do we really want to win that many games, or do we want to make sure we move up in the draft? Oh, oh no, absolutely. And if you're the Vikings, and, and you know you can get one of these four, but to get one of the, one of the best three, you're going to have to be a top-ten pick. So at that point, you know, do you just go and bench Kirk Cousins and say, heck with it, you know, we're going with the backup and we're going to play it out and you hope that you can fall far enough into it. And, and yes, there's not supposed to be tanking, but we see it in every sport. I mean, for you to sit here and tell me the A's aren't tanking it, come right. on, let, let's get real. And we watched it in the NBA last year, you know, for the players. So every league's going to do it. It's just 
to me, some teams made it obvious like the Cardinals before the season started. And then you're going to see some of these other teams doing it once they realize they really don't have a shot this year. All right. That does it for episode two of Mixed Picks on Rad TV. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. or anytime afterwards. You can watch or listen at members.radradio.com. All of the Mixed Picks on Rad TV podcasts are then available across all podcasting platforms weekly on Thursday. And if you want to hear even more of Steve, he joins us every Monday and Friday during football season on radradio.com. You can be part of our pigskin picks and see how you do picking against us. Winners and losers, no point spreads. Also at members.radradio.com. Steve, we will talk to you Friday morning on the regular show, and we'll be back uh, next Wednesday for Mixed Picks on Rad TV. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. You too. See you guys next week.